Three, two, one. We are live again. Codecast Season 3 Furious Competitor Series. We've got a real interesting one today. First of its kind, effectively. Uh, we've seen some group shows before. Today, I actually have a true legitimate co-host in arguably someone who in even in their later years might still have more juice in them than me in Rev Klein. And then we also have a wonderful individual, and we all know the magic of CodeCast comes in off the fact of bringing on people that we don't really know and getting the story live the first time in soon to me, my brother in Christ, but soon to be probably friend to Johnny Zaz. Johnny, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy to do what we love here. Um, so how I met Johnny was actually technically shout out. Klein um, had told me like, hey, there's this guy coming to speak. You got to hear about the story of what he's created. And if there's one thing I love, it's guys that go the distance on a long horizon. There's nothing that gets me more in the feels than that because the journey just makes it so much sweeter. And this is, I mean, I wish we did video one day. We will probably not. But if we did, this place is a palace. And just the story behind it is always the coolest thing. But what we'll do today, it'll be a little bit of me running it, a little bit of Jeff running it. But behind every great masterpiece, every great structure we see or modern marvel, there's usually somebody that had an idea of something. And the person that's the creator is sometimes just as interesting as what was created. So Johnny, just in regards, can you give us like a small background? Just like if someone asked who is Johnny's is, who would that be? Um, if you would try to dissect my brain, I would say this crazy leader who had passion for Jesus and with no boundaries. And someone who just really just believed God for what he said he was going to do. And if you describe my life, that's been my life for the last, what, 30 years? When I took on this mission and said, Lord, I want to do something. I want to be a part of something. So, yeah, that would be some crazy leader who just feels like there's no boundaries to God's faith. Interesting. So where, where did the idea start, right? Was it like something that smoked you like a Mack truck or is it something that just kept ringing in the back of your ears and finally like, all right, God, I'm hearing it. Let's go for it. I think for me, the biggest change was when I gave my life to Christ, I knew that I had something more than the average person. And so as my faith was developing and the work that God was doing in my life when I started with youth ministry and then built that and then, you know, we started our own community center, you know, and did that. And each step of the way, we felt like, okay, God, what, what else do you have? Like, what's more? Yeah. Right? Expand our territory, right? And every time we did that, I knew that I had to learn the lesson of sacrifice, right? And every time that I was I willing to sacrifice at the next level? Mm. And it cost me, right? Was I okay with the cost? So every time I sacrificed, I sacrificed the next level and I, it would cost me something and whatever that was, right? And so I was willing to walk through that road. And it was slow, but it was, it was costly at times. Who is Johnny prior to this? You said like before I changed over my life to Christ. Like who is the Johnny prior to that? I mean, Johnny was always a leader. He was always involved in things that uh, had leadership uh, places and positions with sports and with you know the places that I worked I always was su either supervising or leading a team and those kind of things and so I've always was a leader I just didn't know that God was going to take me and lead in a different capacity but I've mm. always been a leader mm. yeah. so then it brings us to this place like I really wish we had video here guys just to see like it's 
It's not, and one of the things too, I always try to proclaim here, and this is one thing where I love Klein being here on this too. I don't care about the size of the church. I don't care if you got marble columns in the front of it, right? Like one of my favorite guys that we all read about was the wisest man in the world and died with, had everything and then died with nothing. Shout out Ecclesiastes. Um, but right, like, can you guys talk about the vision here? I love how you spoke about like God's economics don't conform with our economics here. Like that has stuck with me and is a tattoo in my head. Can you walk me through just like the start of this place and what it's gone from? Because I feel like you can articulate it really well and it's jaw dropping of where it was and like what's been able to be built. Yeah. So we, um, again, sacrifice, right? So the opportunity for us to sell, we had property in Humble Park that was worth some money. And we decided to take that property, sell it, and invest in something that no one could ever see. So we bought this land. It's 3.5 acres of land at first. And we ended up buying an old factory, old glid and paint factory. Now, when I would take folks or bring folks in and share the vision, a lot of folks couldn't see it, right? And really couldn't see what was happening. But God had a, uh, a plan for this land. So every time I would share the vision, share what this would look like in the future, you know, God would just move my heart to say, okay, here, here it comes. So a quick story, we had a, um, the environmental on this land. I didn't really consider that, Yeah. you know, cause and all my friends were like, man, you're buying them better. You know, it's glid and paint factory that most likely has some environmental issues. So, um, I received a call from this, uh, this lawyer who has been investigating land like ours, right, around the city, and he called me and said, listen, I want to take on your case for $5,000, that's all I'll charge you, but I wanna go after uh, the company that actually owns the, that, the previous company that owned the land. Yeah. And so I said, well, how's that gonna work? He goes, I'm going to ask them to clean it up. Mm. And so um, I was like, okay, and you know, I trusted the, the gentleman, and so, he had the company to come back and they found out it was a church and what we wanted to do with it. They actually paid over a million dollars to clean it up and it wasn't us paying for it. Really? They cleaned it up on their own. They came, took all the tanks out on this acre. They did all the borings, the testing, all the environmental stuff. Yeah. They came back and did it. And usually when you buy property, you own it, you never get that favor. Correct. Yeah, when you're buying, you're as, as is. As, yeah, as is. Absolutely. But they made right. I mean, they came back, did what was had to be done, and they cleaned our whole land and all the environmental. And again, this is God's timing and ways that he would do stuff that I couldn't even imagine. So when that happened, all of a sudden, now we have my, you know, my donors and folks were like, what about this uh, environmental mess? I said, no, I'm not paying for it. And when they found out that the company came back and did it all and paid for it, it was a miracle. But again, God's economy is not, you know, it's different than our economy. And then when we bought this property, the same thing. We thought it was one point, they were selling for 1.5. We offered 1.2. The guys, they balked on it. And then when the market crashed, we ended up buying it for $900,000. Again, God's economy. So this, I think, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah. I think this God's economy thing is important to think about because in the suburbs, we build $30 million facilities right yeah. because we're going to slap up this beauty and it's wonderful but we build basically a worship center where we sit and worship what i love about this vision is we build you know come in here and see the vision for nine hundred thousand dollars a company comes in because god arranges it to clean it up now you've got this beautiful facility it's eighty thousand square feet 
right? And it happens to be a community center, not a worship center. So the, there's worship going on here. Absolutely. That's not the primary reason why it's here. Yeah. Primary reason why it's here is to change the world, to build the kingdom. Yeah. I will, that's also in God's economy. That's incredible. And like, Johnny, can you, so walk me through, like, all right, now we got some speed going here, right? We got the EPAs off our back, right? Now we're starting to build. Like, how many years? I remember you telling the story. This place was not put up overnight. It was no, a, it took time. I mean, you do it in phases, right? One of the things that I received great uh, advice from, like, Jeff and Wango, and that you do it little by little because not everybody sold at, at the beginning, right? You have to do something for folks to kind of buy in, yeah. right? And I didn't realize that till um, when we were in year 2017. You know, I really felt like we had to, we had to literally, you know, start building and start doing. And so when we started that, um, we just did one floor. Once we did that one floor, yeah. Once we were able to uh, kind of like uh, situate that one floor, all of a sudden things just took off on us. But I had to put classrooms in. I had to, optics are everything, right? Yeah. So you may not have the dollars, but if you make it look like you have the dollars, people do buy have buy in. That's interesting, right? Like this is such a weird psychology thing, but it is a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. Okay, so this thing keeps getting built, and then so this is this building is part one, correct? Yes. Can you and then one thing is the clients know the amount of stuff you guys do in the community is absolutely nuts. Now I'm a huge proponent of <clears throat> when it comes to solving problems, like the government's not gonna figure it out, leave it up to somebody to do it on their own fruition, right? Or like let the private side of some sort or a normal charity figure it out on their own because they're just more efficient and they can do direct impact a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Can you guys just walk through some of the, cause I know we could sit here for a whole hour and talk about all the things you guys do for the community, yeah, but absolutely. can you just talk about some of the big things you guys do from like the food and just the truck, like the whole truck story, you guys, of how you figured that out, which is bananas. To us, right? But it's like God's probably laughing at like these idiots. But can you just share with us the story of those things? I think the truck, the truck uh, company that we created, or trucking uh, uh, fact that we were able to tap into a market that companies always want to give because they have so much resources to get rid of. But the the church always shows up with a van. Yeah. So when we showed up with a trailer, a fifty six foot trailer, and so and they were like, "Wait, you have that capacity to grab stuff?" Yeah, so yeah, and then we're like, okay, perfect. So now we, you know, our we pick up <coughs> over forty-five to sixty pounds weekly, and to take care of our community because we have a warehouse, twenty thousand square feet warehouse where we get supplies and those things. And so, just the idea, you know, that creative vision of having trucks instead of vans, yeah, right. It's just opened a, a, a huge door for us to be able to impact our community. Those are the little things that you can do, but you have to have a concept of church, not Sunday only. Church is Monday through Sunday. And you know, and so throughout the week, it's gotta be used as a resource center because the gospel is a resource and service is a resource. It's gotta be used that way. And people are open to hearing that. And when you deal with you know, poverty, and when you deal with so much stuff, like we're in the Russell, the migrant, you know, we're involved in that. But when you deal with all that stuff, the even the city or the government, the aldermen, the officials, they look towards you and say, like, okay, they have something here. But it's God, it's, we're agents of change for the Lord. And so we put ourselves in that position to be a light in the midst of dark times and dark times. And being a leader, like a church leader, requires yeah. you to be a good anthropologist and archaeologist, which <laughs> yes, means that you're yeah. 
sort of scoping out like what are the needs around my yes. community that need that the church can meet yeah that we can step into where's the kingdom of god I want to step in and do something right and johnny and his team saw this and COVID really helped them yeah yeah the COVID story yeah COVID we, helped yes. them, right COVID actually fueled this thing on because when i got kind of back involved here was during COVID, and i got a bread company in california calling me wanting to give us five hundred thousand loaves of bread well what am i going to do with that in the suburbs but i call this guy He's got capacity to take it, and he's passing out food like crazy. So we started shipping, I don't know, we should probably ship 2 million loaves oh, yeah, of bread down yeah, here. Absolutely. At one point, 800,000 uh, cinnamon rolls and McDonald's cinnamon rolls, even though they didn't even exist yet, they weren't even in the restaurant yet. Because really? Because they were yeah. made, yeah. and they yeah. had to have a place to do do something with them, something good. So we, we got with Johnny, and we started shipping food down here. He would bring some out to the suburbs. We'd yeah. do some distribution around our church. But reality is in the suburbs, there's just not the need for food. This is a food desert. Yeah. Right? These yeah. people sometimes have to drive. There's only like one food store within yeah. how many miles, grocery right? store. And, and that's why when the opportunity opened up for us with, and this is a great connection of a suburban church and a city church looking at the optics and say, okay, we don't need this, but they could. Let's help here. And then we come in, okay, we, we can help in this area. That's a great partnership, right? To look at how we can service the kingdom of God yeah. in all facets and looking at the market, looking at opportunity, looking at places for us to jump into, right, was the key. So with the bread company, with, uh, you know, milk company, all that yeah. stuff, People had so much uh, uh, material and items that they needed to get rid of fast. We became that agent to kind of push it out for them. So basically, in effect, we bring this into summation here. So COVID hits, right? We're not moving as much product. It's going to spoil, right? Because it's perishable food. Yeah. So you guys are basically saying, like, throw it to us as the middleman. We can at least right. get it out to people. Or else yeah. you're going to be burning yeah. spoilage. Yeah. And then I'm effectively assuming, if I think about it from the economic standpoint, the business donating the goods over to you. Is still, it's like they're going to take the loss on the write-off, or they could donate it, and at least it's like, hey, we'll get some sort of tax deduction, and someone's getting helped. Yep. And, the, and the crazy thing is, once people realize this is going on, like I got a woman that works at Dutch Farm. She's high up in Dutch Farm. She calls me, hey, client, I got a whole truck full of lo load of eggs, yep. a whole semi full of eggs. We don't, know, we got to give them to somebody. O okay, well, I know where to give them. You know, I know, I know you do because I know you're giving this bread. You're telling us a story. Boom. So we send eggs down here. Then we send milk down here. Like gallons and gallons of milk, and we start this program. And these guys come and help us learn how to do this. Like Johnny comes out with his team, drives out to the suburbs, sets up in front of our church, and shows us how to distribute food well. So we learn from them. They teach us how to do this together. And so together, we get to do some of this together. Well, you told me a stat number that was shocking. How many people do you guys feed in a given week or something? It's some. So now we. So during the week. Um, Right now, because we're starting to see some num the numbers go up with the migrants yeah. coming into our community and filtering our community. So I'll give you an example. So on s this past Monday, we had 601 folks with our uh, um, uh, Chicago ID. Uh, uh, we had uh, we were giving out the Chicago IDs here, and then on Tuesday we served over 300 folks, 300 families, right? Uh, food, and then yesterday we served another 300 families. So think about that. It's a family and add two per family in, in those and look at those numbers, right? So once we have, a, we're building a grocery store, as we call it the choice store, so that we can open it from Monday through Friday. We're going to open every day. So you guys are serving thousands a week. We potentially thought, so on this campus alone, we do, on just everything that's happening on this campus, at least 5,000 folks weekly on this campus. 
with all the activities, with the food, the uh, Chicago IDs, with the social services for migrants, with the programs we have at our athletic center that's going on, um, all that we have so many folks right through this campus. We serve at least 5,000 folks weekly. Yeah, so so let's say this. So what's your congregation size? Like if you're measuring, ah. typically, you know, in, in America, yeah. and especially in the suburbs, we, we talk about, well, we got 800 people coming to worship. We got 1,500, we got 5,000. What do you got going to worship, About Johnny? 225. 225. Easy with the two services, 225 folks. And when they started this, there was 120 people that said, we're going to have the vision to do this. So we think it takes a mega center to build a ministry like this. It doesn't. It takes people yeah. with vision and faith and willingness to step in and, and trust the Lord. And then God steps in and things begin to happen. Yeah, because that's the misconception. People think you have to have a large congregation to do right. large work. And that's not always true. You just have to have uh, those who are committed to see God for who he is. And yep. he can move the mountains that we have in our and, and before us, and so that's what happened here. So that's compelling to me because yeah. we how many churches in suburban America are thousands of people and are doing nothing. I think we, it's, we couldn't it, point to one thing they're doing. We would have no idea if they closed. Nobody would have a clue where, where they went, or they wouldn't miss them. People outside the church would miss. People inside the church would miss them because they miss their, you know, whatever they go to every week. But people outside the church would have no idea that they left. Yeah, I mean, we were doing the food distribution. I had people coming in my church building going, oh, I didn't know this was a church. We drive by here every day. We didn't know what this was. It was this big building. Man, how about it? Okay, wow. Well, you got to start to know this is a church. How are you going to know it's a church? Well, when the church starts acting like the church, yeah. then people will know it's a church. But when we just sit there in the corner and say, come gather with us, that's not very compelling. Very catchy, yeah catch all factoring of it and I always just think it's incredible like the fact that like one per one person can do when they just won't quit on something right is absolutely incredible and you run that out over a long enough period of time yeah incredible so this guy had donors walk away and say Johnny you're crazy like this what you have done here you just you've sunk yourself he didn't let that stop him. right no because I knew the consistent word that was given to me was going to come to fruition and I didn't just depend on people's pockets I knew that God would do something we just had to wait the process and walk it through. Now, there were seasons where I felt like, man, God, where are you? You know, are you really going to show up? Because I put myself out there. I mean, I laid it all on the line. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and there were seasons where it felt like, man, there was nothing happening. For eight years, nothing was happening. And every year we come here and we pray and we said, Lord, is this the year? That kind of stuff. And so we kept praying and seeking and praying. But we would do something to keep our faith moving. Yeah. It wasn't just we just stood there and just waited. No, we did something to keep the vision alive, to keep the hope alive. And so we would chip away at what this would be one day. And so as we believed, God delivered and God opened up. And then it started with uh, the networking of understanding to, that networking is kingdom mindedness, right? Mm. If you network with other folks that yeah, you're opening up the blessings of kingdom blessing. Because when you do, when you're our church that's only focused on what you're doing as a church here in this community, and it's just, a, oh, we're the church and we're here and this is what we're gonna do. But when you say, no, we are the church that's bigger than us and we want to partner with other churches yeah. and other institutions and really think kingdom-mindedness, mm -hmm. there's a different monster. This is a, God then begins to flow because now he's responsible to make sure that this kingdom mindset is fed. Yeah. And so that's how this happens here. Yeah. And so when we partnered with By the Hand, Intentional Sports, all my partners, you know, Danita Travis, who... Uh, actually came and when we bought this building for $900,000, she bought a, an acre from us for a million dollars. And so we got our money back plus 
Yeah. Right. And so, but she saw the vision and she saw the partnership. Like she, like we agree that our partnership together is, is important. And that's how we walk our roads today. And then we built the, uh, the, uh, the sports center and we built out this campus because the partnership and the network that we had was so wide and so big, it could absorb with the work that we were doing. Can you? <clears throat> we'll talk about that sports facility yeah, too, because that yeah. thing's almost famous in itself. I'd known about that. I didn't know that was Johnny's place. Yeah. Oh, it's God's place, but you know, it's the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Johnny's Johnny's the bench captain. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. what, the migrant crisis is a really interesting, right? Yeah. So, I think it's something that's worth talking about here. Um, you know, I, I think it's very easy that we oftentimes get into the what's that one saying? I hate it's like. If you had a bowl of Skittles and one of them's poison, would you still eat bowls out of the Skittles? Like, my idiot brain probably would. But, you know, to think like that is actually pretty sad because, like, my grandparents fled from uh, Poland in the 1940s. There was this guy in Germany coming to power, mm -hmm. um, and it just wasn't looking good. Right. Right? And so, at a certain point, right, there has to be something done. And, like, with you guys stepping – I always love when it – it sounds like whenever it starts to rain really hard, you guys are the first person to walk outside and, like, we'll do it. Like, mm -hmm. that's cool. Like, we're in – can you walk me through some of the stuff you guys have done for those folks and just yeah. also hammering down some of the ignorant misconceptions of these people because yeah. they're people just like you and I and we are no better than them in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing when they were coming in um, last August uh, in 2022, we just felt like, you know, we needed to step in and be that, uh, that bridge that most communities have when other migrant families come in from other countries, they have a bridge, they have people that they yeah. go to and support. Well, the Venezuelans never had that, right? And so we decided to say, okay, we want to make sure that we become that bridge to be the starting point for them to, to, to move forward. And so we decided to be that particular place. Well, we didn't know that how we became the flagship of most Venezuelans are coming into Chicago, they come to this site. So we started housing them, we started working the program by you know creating 60 days where in six days we're gonna house them, we're gonna find work for them, and then you know, and then get them stable uh, apartments. And that's what we did. And we were able to do 450 families easily. We did that within a year period. And how are you I just gotta stop you. How are you finding for that much housing though? Like that's a lot of real estate you're wheeling and dealing. So think about a house, right? So so we look at a house, some people would say, okay, one family for the house. No. If you go back, like my parents, when we came, my, my dad came over, he stayed in my uncle's house, right? Mm -hmm. And there could have been two or three uncles there with their families in one house. Got it. Right? Yeah. And so, but then once they were stabilized, then they all helped each other to get a house. So they would help my father get a house and then they would help, you know, so everybody would help each other in that kind of mentality, right? And so with what's happening here, like our first group, we had, we had two houses, five went to, you know, and they were together. They knew each other. They built this relationship because they had this, yeah. you know, this work. So five families would go into one house and they would figure it out. And another family, five, few families would go into another, uh, two families would hit an apartment. Like uh, right now, so we have, uh, seven studios that we we were we were given seven studios. Oh, I put four guys in one studio. I put another three guys in another studio. So we're able to hot, re, 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 uh, resettle uh, seventeen folks, seventeen men in these studios. 
to help them get going, right? Yeah. And so that's how you have to think outside the box, not traditional one family, one house, one family, one apartment. No, you but John, look at I need my own bedroom, my own bathroom. Yeah. I need it by, just by myself. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and at, to be honest with you, we've had folks, the, the living room and dining room became bedrooms. Yeah. But here's the thing, when you have communal living, when you have communal living and they support each other, they move faster and all of a sudden they grow and, and they begin to you know, pursue their dreams. But communal living works if it's the right people at the right time. Mm. And so it's creating communal living in spaces, in tight spaces, but it's a support of family. You know, they could teach us something. We in America have lost the touch of family. Mm -hmm. We think that family is the, the visits on Christmas, Easter, and holidays. But the fact that families don't even get together anymore, especially Latino families, we, 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 we sold out. Because before, Latino families used to be so tight. And you would have, like, you know, my mom would have her house, and we would all go there. Uh, you know, you would see uh, family members in and out of that house. Why? Because it was important to be together, mm -hmm. right? And we've lost that. We became so, you know, we have our own houses, our own vacations, our own summer home. Everybody's spread out now. And then they only come together either for a funeral or a wedding. Mm. And it's so sad because we missed the big part of what it is to be a family, to really gather together and commune. And when I see them and how they gather and they go to picnics together and they celebrate together, I miss that piece. Yeah. You know, and so... Yeah, it's important to see how families come together. So we, as we resettle these families, we, you know, we help them with food, we're, with different types of resources, but we do it in a way that's timely. The key is time. Because as the, as, as the buses still keep coming today, right, as they're coming, we're dealing with this, this water hose of, of, of issues coming down. But at the back end, we have to do something to resettle and, and, and create systems where they can um, move on. And that's where we're, we're working at this side of the spectrum now, just resettling them, you know, creating a place where they are stable. We, we call it, our goal is stabilization. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to basically well, get let's, let's go back to that question. You, you talked about the bowl of Skittles and the, you know, the misconceptions. Yeah. You know, I was uh -huh. down here bringing some coats. You know, we brought a few coats from Elmer CRC to try to help. And I met a couple of these guys. One guy, Johnny introduced me to, his wife did not make it across the border. So his wife and his children were sitting in some center along the border. He was here and he was freaking out because he's like, how am I getting, you know, he worried about his wife. Like, how am I get my wife here? What's going, you know, what do I do? Do yeah. I go back? Do I, what do I do? You know, Johnny's talking and praying through this with him. So these are regular people like us that are just wanting to have a life, have a family, yeah. have safety, have a place to work, yeah. have a purpose, you know, but but the this narrative that these are criminals coming across the border. I mean, sure, are the criminals mixed in? I'm sure they are. But guess what? I've met plenty of criminals here in America that look just <laughs> like me. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we sometimes have this weird thing going on where we're just kind of, so I don't know. No, I agree with you. I think that one of the biggest things that we do, we always have to have somebody to point the fingers to in America. We can't see our own ills and issues, but we have to find somebody else to blame whatever the ills are in America. And the easy ones to point out is always the ones that are most marginalized. They're at fault that our economy's gone up. They're at fault to take advantage of our system. And the reality is, no, there's a lot of other folks that are taking advantage of our system that's creating this mess. You know, if we go back in history over 30 years ago in Venezuela, 
the reason why, number one, the government that they had was creating the issues of what's happening here in poverty, but also we put an embargo, right? So we created some of this as well. Yeah. So by not allowing them to get resources and things like that, and we've given that embargo now in 30 years has created this mess now it's at our borders. Correct. And so there's some things that we as Americans, you know, and I put myself weak because I'm an American, yep. uh, have to take... Uh, um, we have to take an account of the things that we've done in other places now at our board. And we can't say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, no, it's at our doors because we created some of this stuff. Totally. And it's an interesting thing, too. Where I wish another guy would be fun to have in here. There'd be too many personalities. Though. There's a guy named Coach Swider where he says, back in the day, you know, you used to knock yourself down and you get back up and start moving again. Now, people as they're getting knocked down are looking to point the finger on their fall down and somebody else blaming them. That's the reason why I'm here. Right? It's just a lack of overall accountability. And it's interestingly enough, from a side economical perspective, Venezuela's thirst for debt for so long, they'll say crippled them, but that embargo was never talked about either, too. The United States has a crippling thirst for debt as well. But that also, when you have the resources and can move the, the massive hand, it's a whole different game that's being played. I also love to, like, as a side joke, I always laugh at, like, the idiot people, like, oh, America's the worst place to live. Really? Where's the one place everyone's trying to go to? The U.S. Right. Um, right. So the, with the migrant thing too, I, I'm appreciative of that, right? We have people that are like, oh, they're doing this, 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 and this. And sometimes I think we just don't want to admit like, hey, these people are willing to outplay us. So I used to um, help run an internship program at our firm and we used to interview all these different kinds of kids. And just like as a surprise to nobody, my proclivity towards like my dad's a lawyer and my mom's an investment banker, like those kids and I just don't really get along very well just by nature. And what, one of my favorite questions I used to always ask was, if this doesn't work out for you, what do you have to lose? And then I remember like a lot of times you have a couple kids like, oh, go do something else or go do something else. And there's this one kid who like that dude had fought like a dog to even get at the front door. Um, it's like my dad's not here. My mom's kind of somewhat here. Like I had to take the bus to get here to like be here for this interview. And I go, what happens, man, if this doesn't work for you? And he goes, I've got everything to lose. Like this is the only shot I got on it. And it was like, say no more. Like, I'll bank chips on that person every single day. So that's a migrant. Yeah, exactly. They, they have bankrolled everything they have to cross over 3,000 miles to get to a place so that they can have life. And we have people that can't even show up to work on time, right? It's like, that dude did on an empty promise and a chance that you could get at the gate and be told, nah. Right? And the fact, and then even if you go with your whole, like you said, the whole family, there ain't a whole guarantee we're all getting through the gate. One guy might only be able to make it, but he's willing to put his whole nuts out on the line, yeah. apologies for the language, to try to make a shot at this, right? Like, you, I, you can't almost compete with somebody like that. Like, that's just too, that is a hard run. Because he's so determined, right? He's so determined to get what he came here for and to work and to, to, to be able to uh, dream, right? Because we sold him a dream. America has, is a dream. You know, we sell people dreams. Yes. And so the fact that he says, I'm going to believe that dream and I'm going to make that dream happen. I had a situation where a young man, he had walked from uh, a suburb of Markham, Illinois, walked from Markham, Illinois to Chicago, right, for a city key card event. And they started like at two in the morning and got here about 10 in the, uh, in the morning, right? And I was like, how can you do that with you and your family? Why would you walk that far to get to this event? I mean, it's 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 a two-hour ride, easy. But you're gonna, you know, you're gonna walk it. So it took you like five hours, six hours to get here. He goes, he goes, and he tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, 
We walked over 3,000 miles from Venezuela to America. This is nothing for us because we're determined to get what we need. Man. And I think most people have never met an immigrant. People that have lots of opinions about immigrants have never ever sat down across the table from one. So like yes, sir. my wife and I, you know, have been involved with this African family for years. This woman was raped in Africa in two refugee camps twice, totally traumatized. Her two old two oldest daughters are products of those rapes. Came really? to America pregnant from another situation, now has five girls. She's literally so traumatized she's stuck at twelve years old. We've tried to get her counseling and everything else. Meanwhile, the girls are geniuses. They're like top of their class. This one girl's going to get a full ride scholarship. She's going to be a senior this. She's a senior this year because not because she's just because you know of her color of her skin because she's genius yeah. and she somehow has like had the resiliency. But if you you know you can have all kinds of opinions about immigrants, but then if you sit across the table from these five little girls and this mom who've been totally traumatized, that changes your perspective. Like it doesn't, it's not so easy to go, well, that, the problem with this country, these people coming across the border, you know. Think about how much, and it's, it's interesting, it's such an ignorant thing too that really annoys me because it's like, when you don't have math to back it up and you're like, I feel, that's when we're getting in trouble. You're like, look at how much of Christianity has been ruined because some guy comes along and says, well, I think, right? What if every church took on one immigrant family, adopted it, and walked with them the long haul till they became sustainable and got going in this country? That would change the world. Instead, we sit in church and pontificate about the immigration problem and our political opinions and all that nonsense. Who gives it? Like, what? Speak about language. I'm going to get going. But yeah. it's like, what are we doing? Like, let's adopt a family. How about every church? There's 900,000 churches in America. That's 900,000 families that could be adopted. But instead, if we talk to most of those churches, they're doing nothing. You know, our initiative with the Unity, uh, Unity Church... Um, that we just promoted with uh, Brandon Johnson, the mayor. And we're starting with 17 churches, 345 folks. But the big, the idea was to have 100 churches to have 20 folks, right, in their churches. So so imagine if we had 20 people in, in 100 churches, that's 2,000 folks, right? And can you imagine if we did, you know, 500 churches? Imagine the numbers of churches would take on 20 people and disciple those 20 folks, right? And... And, and, and then begin to put impact. We keep praying for revival, but we keep praying for revival, and we want revival to look like us and speak like us. Mm. But revival is not looking like us, and it's not speaking like us. And here's the thing. When, when we have, when we have our, our unity service or our bilingual service here in church, what we've noticed that when we have our unity service or our bilingual service here in church, and the migrants are with us, you know, our neighbors are with us, all of a sudden, the worship is different and the spirit is different because they come from a desperate place of wanting God where we come from a comfortable place of God. Yeah, man. And so when the worship happens and, and, and things begin to flow, the room is electric because they're crowing. They pray, they pray that God come down. God, thank you. And they come from a heart of appreciation and they come with a heart of thankfulness. But we come from a heart of, of complacency and we got it all together. And there's a different type of worship with that. Yeah, happens. man. All the stuff goes out the door and we allow the Holy Spirit to hit and it hits because they're ready to hear from God. 
where we have this comfortable Christianity, we have this comfortable place where we don't allow the Holy Spirit to move, we don't allow anything because it interrupts our schedule to watch the Bears game or interrupts our schedule to go to Sunday brunch because we see God in a box. We keep the Holy Spirit in a box in our sanctuary and then we let him out occasionally Absolutely. and then we put him back in the yeah. box. It's incredible versus, like you said, like church ain't just on Sunday. It's Monday through Sunday. And that's the thing. That's what builds it up. So when you do the work throughout the week, there's a buildup because you've seen evidence of God work mm. Monday all the way to Saturday and God moving in people's hearts. So that on Sunday becomes a celebration because you've seen the work. That's but a if you have that's nothing... Different. Right. That's a good point. I never you don't just come it. to worship to worship. You come to celebrate all the things what, you see God doing yeah. and what you've done and how yeah. you've been part of the mission. Yeah. And now you come to celebrate. Yeah. Praise the Lord for yeah. this amazing work yes. going on. Yeah. We God. get to worship. We're just worshiping because well, we do another worship service. Yeah. It's almost like we got it so good that it's like you. It's it, it's. We've got it so good, but in a way, you creates it so bad because it's like you yeah. find like these. You see people like find these crutches of like I don't need God because it's like. I live in a 6,000 square foot house, man. It's all good. And you, you had an interesting point. The, a lot of times they think, oh, like, migrants are going to learn from us, but all the things you learn from them. Absolutely. Right? Where it's like they bring back like, the thing of like an actual true family community and stuff like that and like what it's actually mean to be like a family unity, peace yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like I'm pretty certain I can go on a limb here of like a lot of parents that have kids might not even know where their kids are at. Like they don't even know what their kids are up to. I would be willing to bet my family like that ain't happening where it's like no they know yeah exactly they know now with we gotta just in the climb what you're gonna say go for it um so in the nature of this we've got the other building now this building and we'll talk more about this but this is actually interesting I knew about this building for a long time I'd seen it because different sports teams and stuff like that it's like there's this facility I'd heard about and then it was over and over and over. And I didn't know until you came to speak. I was like, that is that. Like, that is that. You, I thought it was always a private facility of, like, sports training because what's in there, you would think, is it's a state-of-the-art facility. Yeah. Can you tell me about, like, the impact of that place, what it is, and give, like, the listeners more view of, like, that specialty space over there? Yeah, when we did, uh, after the pandemic and the riots hit, I, uh, my partner, Danny and I, we really wanted to make sure that whatever we built, we built because how it can impact our community, especially in the west side. And especially uh, communities like, you know, uh, Belmont Cragen, uh, Austin, and also um, uh, uh, Belmont Cragen, Austin, Hermosa, those communities around us that we can impact, right? And Galewood. And so when we decided to do the, this kind of work, we, we did a survey, we looked at what we, what we had, and we said, how can we dream about something special here that would bring so high quality to kids in our community as far as from a sports aspect? So we reached out to a young man um, in California who was born and raised in Palatine, in Chicago. And so he and his family were praying about coming back, and he developed a sports center in California. So one thing led to another. We began to dream, and then... We have our sports center, right? And with that, with the elements of by the hand club, with their at school program, you know, us coming in as the social service agency, and then now we add intentional sports with sports, and then we reach out to you know different folks like Jason Hayward, Chicago Fire, um, all these quality folks, partnership with Wind Trust, all that. This became a reality for us, right? When it was a dream and then a reality. But here's the key. I'll share the story. So last summer, uh, Jason came back. Uh, Jason Hayward is a great 
partner and in support of what we're doing. Jason came back with the Dodgers when they were playing the Cubs, and he decided to bring all the Dodgers to go into the facility, and and, and they started uh, playing with our kids, practicing with our kids. So here's Mookie Betts, yeah, practicing with one of our kids. Here's Freeman. Here's all these guys, pro athletes, working with our kids, drilling them, all this other stuff, just showing them what they where they can be on the West Side. Yeah, and that's one story of professional athletes walking into the building and doing things with our kids and showing that hey, I'm at this level, you can achieve this level. And so we have D1 coaches that are here. We have folks that play D1 that are coaching D2. We have baseball coaches. So we have a quality of coaches that is bringing it down to our level of our kids in the West Side who really don't have it. We have a state-of-the-art uh, facility that we can run with anybody in the state of what we have, the quality and the space and the things that we're doing here in the West Side, where people really don't look at the West Side as as, as an important piece. So imagine ballplayers that have come from the West Side, yeah. right? Now imagine how many ballplayers we're going to get playing basketball here at our facility in the West Side with that kind of, that kind of talent and kind of coaching. And it's incredible. I, it's, just, it's a feeder system. It's almost like what it's, you're creating here. because it's you going got, to be. When you've got that much good resources, it's just... It makes it that much better to get the exposure to pro athletes and stuff like that. Is, is Jason Hayward the one you're friends with? Yes, Jason Hayward is a good friend of ours. And uh, so Andy McDermott also is a major piece because, you know, he played professional soccer. So you have Austin Carr, who just about a year and a half, I keep saying just, but about a year and a half ago, so, some sort like or two years, he retired from the New Orleans Saints. So he's running shops over here. He's the VP here. So you got all these high athletes, yeah. Jason, Austin. Uh, Andy McDermott, and then others who have come in and just give quality, uh, high quality pro type uh, training to our kids. It's incredible, you know, and it's free for our kids in our community. That exposure and that resource is free to our kids in our community, you know, and so that's something that, you know, and, and here's the key. It's Christians developing this model. Isn't that incredible? Outside the box thinking. Here's a church. Here's, here's you know, by the hand, two Christian organizations. Here's uh, Andy McDermott, a solid uh, Christian man, bringing his ideas, and now we're creating this. Now, it doesn't mean we, nobody can, anybody can come in here and use the resources and we work with them. But you have believers sowing into ideas outside the, the church, looking beyond the, just the Sunday service type of thing. So you have sports, you have pantries, you have after school program, all on the campus, and people are taking notice. Talk about, like, isn't that so cool where it's like actually making a change where, like, when kids don't have anything to do, like, I remember being a kid, I want to do idiot things when I was a kid where it's like, what mischief can I call this? Because I have a bunch of free time. But now you take somewhere, it's like, it's not just this little gymnasium where some kids go over. It's like, this is as good as it's going to get. And like how, like it gives them an outlet, gives them something to look forward to. It gives them the end result of like, this guy's one of the playing ball at the highest pinnacle of the beat and telling me like, I'm in the right spot. Like that for a kid has got to be life changing that they'll never forget. Right? Like, plus these facilities, I've seen nothing like this in the suburbs. And I've been in, my kids in travel sports, soccer, baseball, you can't find anything like this where we live in the suburbs. Right? So and I, and I also want to emphasize the partnership thing. Like we in the suburbs work in our little silos. It's like my church, my little silo, you know, we protect our little thing. We don't, these guys, they, they need each other. They work together. They yeah. come together. So by the hand comes together with John Isaiah's 
and they come together with Jason Hayward, they come in with, with the city of Chicago and something happens because people are working together. They create a partnership instead of like, this is my little silo, yeah. I'm gonna do my little thing. And then, you know, the church down the road does their little thing. And then this church down the road does their little thing. Well, what if we all work together for the kingdom? We might actually make a huge difference in our community, but we never want to work together because we might lose our people. We might lose somebody to the other church or, you know, I don't know, all the, yeah. all these like Supplementing beliefs that exist. territorial yeah. things that we are hang on to. Right. Nothing's ours anyways. So exactly. Like, yeah, man. It's true. Um, well, this is, I don't know, it's just incredible. I, of, <laughs> I feel honored to be here almost in a certain way. I always get this feeling whenever I get to do interviews like this because it's as much as I try to do it for like just my, the audience that listens. Because I was always the guy that's known that knows the nuts people. And it's like, I guess like, I just take them as my friends. Hit record and like, here you go. But selfishly, like, I enjoy this for myself because it always fires me up with like, man, you could always do more. Or like, what if, right? And what if thought about for a long, obsessive nature, undwindling for a long period of time produces results like that. And it's cool now because like the next what if is what comes out of there, right? There can be only be... There's gonna. It's not even a, a possible. It's a probable. It's somebody that we're talking about from probably a sports perspective. Twenty years from now, it's like came out of the facility, right? And it just starts this big feeder, right? It's 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 the fact of like the community and serving the community in different ways of not waiting like waiting for permission. Just like we're gonna go for it, we're gonna try it, and then effectively, you know what I'm saying. And then at the same point, like your guys' courage to do all these different things, right? And good on playing the own. I don't even know if it's a chessboard move, but thinking like we're just gonna start doing stuff because. Even without like a governmental approval, because what are they going to do? Come in and shut it down? That's a really bad look if that happens. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, good on you guys, man. Just take the green light and make your own markers on it. That's yeah. incredible. I wanted to jump on what if, what if you really believe that not everything is possible? Mm. And if you believe that everything is possible through Christ, because that's the, that's the anchor to this, right? And if you believe everything is possible through Christ, then there's open doors. But if you limit the possibilities that Christ can open these doors, it's the seeds, right? One had one, uh, the coins, one had one coin, one had five coins, one had 10. Well, I always believe that the 10 is, is possible if you have faith for the one and you have faith for the five. So as we, I had my one and, and I didn't hide it. I actually invested it and God gave me five and I took that five and I rolled with it and now I have a 10. And I'm looking forward to this next season, next season that's coming because now that we did this and I'm like, okay, God, what else do you have? Like my appetite to see God move even more yeah. and greater has expanded where I said, Lord, I'm 58, but I still got some time on here yeah. before I go be with you. What else do you have for me to do and, and, and be part of so that your kingdom can expand? Because in 20 and 40 and 50 years down the road, I will stand with people that have got saved and found Jesus here because we were willing to take that one coin and invest and we be uh, changers and be ones that would do things that no one can ever do or would even think of. And there's so many people, like even at the church that you guys go to, I believe it just takes one step to really believe God for your community and to do it. It may not look like mine, but... Imagine what you guys have and what you can expand yeah. with the things that are around you. And I would just say, just jump, believe, and move. Incredible. Jump, believe. We got, I didn't know what we were going to put as the title, but jump, jump, believe, believe, move. jump, believe, move. Yeah. It's incredible, right? Like you always say, God's economics do not conform to our economics. Yes, sir. Man. 
Johnny, I guess is there in closing, Kleiner, you know, Johnny, is there is there anything else you guys would like to leave or just a food for thought for those listening right now? Just wondering like what what can I do, right? Because like eventually people get charged up. Well, I think I think that's the thing. Like what Johnny's saying about church being Monday through Saturday is the key. This is something I actually do a little uh, devotional on Mondays every Monday out of Elmhurst Church. It's called Beyond Sundays. And I try to encourage people to say, what are you going to do now? You've heard this sermon. You've gone through this worship service. You've gotten recharged. Now you're the presence of Christ in the community the rest of the week. So, you know, and the great thing is Jesus said go, but that word in present tense Greek is go and as you are going. So in other words, we're already going. <laughs> you don't need to. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't yeah. need to like go to Africa to do this. Yeah, like, yeah. You're going to work. You're going to the store. You're going to the gym. As you go, make a disciple. As you go, pay attention. God's up to something around you. You know, enter in. Figure how you can enter in. So I think that's that's really the key. I think what these guys have caught is they figure out ways to enter into the needs of their community. Now the needs in our community are much more covered. I was saying this on the way in here. You know, we got the picket fences, the manicured lawns, and the nice houses, and nice cars, and nice grass. So you're like, wow, everything's pretty good here. Nah, it's just hidden. Yeah. Right? It's just hidden under the surface. So we need to figure out how to find those needs and then say, okay, how do we lean into these needs? How do I lean into these needs as an individual where I can actually step in and help someone in the name of Jesus right where I live, work, and play? That Isn't that interesting, Klein? I've listened to a podcast and they were talking about this. Like, <laughs> societies that have a ton of money, we almost find a way to F it up for ourselves. Like, we just have to, like... After a certain amount of like abundance, we start to have this weird internal guilt. So like, we feel like we need to start just self-creating problems and self-sabotaging our way and stuff yeah. like that. And like, for for migrant communities, right? I'm assuming gambling problems are not nearly as high as it is in wealthy affluent communities, yeah. right? It, it, exactly, because you can't get into those situations. And so like, we feel like we have everything. We've got everything that can distract us, yeah. and we don't sometimes be better off with nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Johnny, this was this is awesome, man. I want to say thank you. The cool part about Johnny was, in probably a surprise to nobody that knows him, it was one text message and Klein reached out and he just immediately said yes. So we always love guys. Like, once again, not just talking about it, guys that are about it, man. I just want to say thank you guys so much for hanging out today. This has been just an absolute joy, if, if nothing more, man. Thank Appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for having us.